We are in Hebrews chapter 9, and we've gone through the first part of it, and he's describing what the tabernacle looked like. So, remember the context in which he is speaking is to Jews who have become believers, who are living around Jerusalem, who are thinking about going back into Judaism so that they don't have to undergo further persecution and their feeling is that when the persecution lifts, we can go back into becoming uh, uh, believing belie- believers and following Jesus. And he says that's not an option because you're going to end up in Jerusalem. You'll end up being killed in the, seven, in, in, in the judgment that's coming. <clears throat> so now he's describing to them the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place of worship for the Israelites in the wilderness, when they were wandering 40 years in the wilderness. They actually completed the, the, the construction of the tabernacle quite quickly. So, so uh, um, they, they should have gone in. They should have only wandered in the wilderness for about a year and gone into the land. But uh, when, when that got prolonged another 39 years or so, they built a tabernacle which traveled with them. We have this image that they were traveling every day. That's not the case. Sometimes they would, they would be, stay put for a decade and then move on. So they moved to a few different locations, but not a lot of locations. He's describing to them the things that went on in the tabernacle. And we read in the first part how there was the, the, an outer court and an inner court. There was the Holy of Holies that the high priest could only go into once a year. But we as believers get to go into the Holy of Holies anytime we like. So let's pick it up in verse, in verse uh, 6. Now when these things, this Hebrews 9 verse 6. Now when these things had been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters, enters once a year, not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Okay, so he's talking about the tabernacle, but it was the same way in the temple that was now built in Jerusalem at this time. It had an outer court where there were Gentiles, and then another court that only Jews could get into, and then another court that only Levites could get into, and, and, and uh, 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 then there was this, this other area that only priests could get into, and then further that only the, 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 uh, uh, the high priest could go in once a year. This is what he's talking about. And it said that he always had to take blood. So there was a sacrifice. There was multiple animal sacrifices before he could go in to the Holy of Holies. And he could only go in once a year. And this, this was at Yom Kippur, and it would... It would uh, uh, it would account for the sins that people committed in ignorance. So there are sins that we commit in ignorance that we're, we're totally unaware of. And, and uh, that's what this accounted for. You say, well, what about all the sins that I commit willingly knowing it? There were other sacrifices for that. So that was the individual sacrifice that the individual had to go and make sacrifice for. He was going, the priest was going, the high priest was going once a year for the sins that the people committed in ignorance. For us, all of this is covered under the blood of Jesus. But this is what, what this was for, the sins that the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit signifying is signifying this, that the way into the holy place, in verse 8, has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is standing, which is a symbol for the present time 
Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until, uh, until a time of reformation. So look what he says. He says that these sacrifices that were made were a symbol, and it says in, in, in the end of verse 9, he says, are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So in other words, whatever things were offered up, it could not deal with the conscience of the individual. This is the beautiful thing we have in Christ, that he's able to cleanse our conscience. This is the thing that really gets us and inhibits us. What stops us from going on in power in the Lord? It's our conscience. When we are, are bruised in our conscience because of our sin, when we are doing something that we have hidden, and then we end up even confessing it to the Lord, but he says he deals even with our conscience as we're going to see. He says these things in, in, in verse 10, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. In other words, all these things that are done on the exterior can never deal with our conscience, can never deal with what's within. So if, if, you, if you look at, at Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. So the book of Colossians, if you go to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look down at, around verse 20 in Colossians chapter 2. And he's speaking, he's speaking to, to these, these folks in Colossia, and he is speaking to them about their desire to come back under the law and go through these various sort of washings. He says in verse 20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. What are we talking about here? He says that there is this tendency that individuals have, that if I just discipline my body, body severely, well, I won't eat these certain foods. So when people tell me, you know, I... I I eat like the Israelites ate in the Old Testament. I don't eat pork and I, you know, I, I eat like they ate. I said, that's fine. You can do that. But as soon as you start thinking that that's going to deal with your conscience, as soon as you think that that's going to start dealing with, as it says here, your fleshly indulgence, you are going to be greatly surprised. That's not going to do anything to keep you from sinning. Now, I don't eat gluten, not because I, I have celiac disease, but I just want to try to go gluten-free. And I've done this for about, I don't know, five or six years. And what it does is it helps me to refrain from a lot of junk food because most junk food has wheat in it and all this stuff that's brought at work, you just don't eat. And all this pizza and everything, you just don't eat because if you don't eat gluten, you just don't eat. So it helps me to watch my weight. But it has nothing to do with helping me spiritually. Zero. And he's saying here, why do you submit yourself to all these sorts of decrees in verse 21 of Colossians 2? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. 
He says in verse 20, 23, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. In other words, wow, that guy's really spiritual. He refrains from this and he refrains from that. and That's fine for him. But it does nothing against fleshly indulgence. He says, he says this is self-made religion. Who wants to be hooked up with self-made religion? This is self-made religion. And self-abasement. In other words, you could sin and take change and just beat your back. Oh, I can't believe I did that. That's what some people do in some parts of the world. They beat their back with chains. As if it's going to do something. It will do nothing. It will do nothing to stop them from fleshly indulgence. This is what he's talking about. It is Jesus who liberates us. And Jesus liberates us even from the seared conscience. All of these things have the appearance. So don't think, oh, that person's so spiritual. Just, well, that's the way they want to eat. That's fine. But it does nothing against fleshly indulgence, does nothing against the tendency of human beings to sin. Nothing. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 9. So he says in in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So when Jesus rose from the dead, remember he said said to Mary, just don't cling on to me. Don't cling on to me because, you know, I'm going to go to the Father. He He went into the tabernacle and he offered up his own blood. There is a heavenly tabernacle. What was on earth was just an image prescribed by God. He says there is a heavenly tabernacle. He says not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it says that in verse 12, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. Think of it this way. Say, say, um, say you had to defend the city of Houston. Say you had to defend the city of Houston from some foreign peoples that were coming in and trying to take over. I don't know. Who who can we dump on? The Russians these days, right? (laughs) Say the Russians were trying to take Houston. And you defended the city of Houston. Just imagine with me, okay? Just, Just let it roll with me, just in your mind. You've defended the city of Houston. Now... In the process of defending the city of Houston from, from the Russians, you lost your legs. Happens a lot in war. Wouldn't you care a lot more about the city of Houston? I get, I, my legs were lost for that city. Say you're a father or a mother and you lost your child battling for a city. That city has great meaning for you. The one whom I love more than I love myself gave themselves for that city. Jesus, Jesus's blood was shed in order to offer that up. Imagine how this looks like to the father. This has great value. This is the life of my son for this. This has great value. Jesus offered up his own blood. This is very different than offering up the blood of of some animal. 
Jesus brought his own blood. Jesus lost, in a sense, his own legs to be given for this. This is what he's talking about. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Once Jesus died, once he need not die again, all of our sins, all of the sins of humankind from Adam and Eve all the way up to the last man or woman that will ever live, all covered by the blood of Jesus. And it's up to us to accept him. He says he he died once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Remember what we talked about in the midst of the misunderstanding that often occurs in this chapter, and we've talked about this, that one can lose their salvation. Again, it's underscored. Having obtained eternal redemption. How could it be that you have eternal redemption? And tomorrow you sin and you lose it. Oh, you've lost it. Oh, you got it back. You repented. Oh, you lost it again. Oh, you got it back. Well, I, I sure hope I die in the, in, in the positive side. You know, <laughs> so I'd be really in trouble. You don't lose this thing. You don't lose it. You're good to go if you've come into Christ. If you've accepted Him, it is an eternal redemption. It doesn't turn off and on. Once you've received Jesus into your life, it is an eternal redemption. That's what He says. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, through the eternal spirit offered himself. Think about these words. Jesus offered himself. Here he was in agony in the garden, agony in the garden, because it had said, it was ne- it had prophesied throughout the scriptures that the son of God, the Messiah would have to give of his life for the sins of the world. He wasn't praying, Lord, spare me from this. He wasn't praying, spare me from giving my physical life. That was prophesied. That's what he was born. He was never going to change the scriptures. What was never said in the Old Testament was that he would have to die spiritually as well. That's what he was dealing with. That's why on the cross he says, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of his spiritual death that he had undergone on the cross. But how did he do it? How was he able to go through all this? It says, he offered him, who through the eternal spirit offered himself. So it wasn't just Jesus alone. It was the spirit of God with him. This is a good lesson for us. Because if we try to labor on our own for Christ, we will become extremely tired and we will become embittered. And I know firsthand, boy, I'm doing all this. Nobody's doing anything. It's just me doing everything. I'm doing all the work here. Did you ever have this feeling? Did you ever think that you're the only one doing this? Well, you're in good company. I mean, Elijah felt the same way. I just said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one standing with you. And the Lord said, no, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one laboring. But the feeling comes over us when we're not functioning in the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you do this and you just, it's just this, this sense that I am offering this to the Lord. This is an offering to the Lord. Lord, you see this. This is my offering back to you. I give of my time. 
I give of my money, I give of, of, of my energy for the Lord's work. This is what I do. And then all of a sudden it takes on a di- different atmosphere. It's not this, this cursing and spitting and complaining. It changes. We will all go through these states where we'll feel like we're working so hard and I'm not getting anything out of this. When you're doing it in the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole perspective changes. You can be working with people and you can say, Lord, love them through me. Lord, love them through me. And all of a sudden, your whole attitude toward them changes. This attitude of bitterness where I'm doing so much for them and they're just taking advantage of me. Well, being taken advantage of? Welcome to the world of Jesus. This happened to him all the time. He was taken advantage of. This is often what it means to be a believer. He was taken advantage of. We are taken advantage of. I mean, we take advantage of Jesus and his death on the cross. He paid the price and he gives it to us. He paid it. We don't, so that we don't have to. To be a believer, people will take advantage of you, but when it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole attitude starts to change. The whole feeling about it starts to change. So when you start laboring for the Lord and you start becoming weary and tired and start getting embittered, remember this. Say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me and let the labor be done according to the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, it says, it says that he did this according to the Spirit who through the eternal Spirit offered himself. It wasn't just himself. It was through the eternal Spirit was there with him. You depend on the Holy Spirit and watch. It will change the way you respond. It will change the way you look at things. It will change the way you deal with people. Even when you start getting tired in your secular job, say, Lord, just recalibrate me. This is all about you. This is all about you. You make your secular job about Jesus. And then it changes your whole attitude about it. It changes your attitude on how you deal with people. Lord, this is about you. As I go to work today, Lord, I serve you. If you go to serve people alone, you will quickly become tired. You will quickly become wiped out. But when you serve Jesus, and now think about this. Think of the picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus was a busy guy. And lots of people to heal and lots of preaching to do. Busy guy. Do you ever see him like, oh, man. Oh, just, you know, I kind of need a break here. You know, I just need a break, okay? Would you just back off? You, you, You never see that. I see this in my own life all the time. But you don't see this in Jesus. You, you look at la, the life of Paul. It's the same sort of thing with the life of Paul. So turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to start reading from verse 23. Now, you, we read a lot about the life of Paul. In fact, the book of Acts, some people have called it, the, 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 you know, as it says, the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of Peter and Paul. And so we, we, we learn a lot about what, what Peter and Paul were up to. So here's, Paul was a very busy man, but you never see him wiped out. You never see him this, just like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I'm in prison so I can just sleep for a while. <laughs> you never see this. 
Here's what he says is going on behind the scenes in his life. In verse 20, 23 of, of 2 Corinthians 11. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger or thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? I mean, was this guy busy? I mean, he went through a lot. Let me me ask you, how many times have you been imprisoned for Jesus? Anybody ever been imprisoned for Jesus? Okay, none of you. Neither have I. I've never been imprisoned for Jesus. Now, I know some people who have been put in jail for Jesus, but I've never known them imprisoned for Jesus. Yes, there are believers all over the world. I just haven't known them personally I've known them personally. I know some people who have been demonstrating in behalf of, you know, some Christian thing and they were put in jail for the night or something. But he's talking about something different. He says, he says, I've been beaten times without number. He's like, how many times have I been beaten? Let me see. I don't even remember how many times I've been beaten. I mean, the guy couldn't even keep track. He said, he said, uh, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. So the Jews were allowed to hit people 40 times, no more than 40 times. But what the rabbis had done is they limited it to 39 times in case they miscount and they go over, it'll be 40. But they don't want to miscount and go 41 because they think they'd be judged by God for doing more than God would allow them in the Old Testament to do. That's why he received. But five times he went through this discipline from the Jews. He says, he says three times I was beaten with rods. Have you ever been beaten with, with rods? Anyone here from Singapore? I mean, they, you're from Singapore? Were you ever beaten with rods? You, you, you never dropped bubblegum on the street then, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're strict about that sort of thing. And, and uh, um, so, so three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and this is, this is not like our current day stoned. You know, this is where they threw stones at him. You know, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, isn't once enough? Lord, you want to teach me a lesson? All right. Who'd ever want to get on a ship with Paul? I mean, not a very good record here. You're going down. Three times I was shipwrecked. He says, he says, a night and a day I spent in the deep. So we read about one of his shipwrecks. In his shipwreck that we read about, in the book of Acts, we don't read about him spending a night and a day in the deep. We read about it was shipwrecked near, near this island Malta and they were able to get to shore. I mean, there was another shipwreck that we don't even read about where he spent a night and a day in the deep. So this is somewhere in the Mediterranean, which is full of sharks. And he was in the water. I mean, all of this is going on in his life. And then you think, well, you know, this is just physical stuff. I I mean, you, you know, the mental stuff that's on me. He says, and on top of this, I have the concern of all the churches. I mean, all the churches. 
were his concern. Because he's the apostle, you know, he's the guy. It wasn't just one church. It wasn't just one Sunday school class. I mean, the guy's got all the church's burden is on him. He says, he says, who is weak without my being weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? He also had the emotional challenge that was there upon him constantly. But you never see him wiped out. How can this be? What's with the guy? How can he be so superhuman? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and fills a life. This is exactly why Jesus could go through what he went through. This is what the Word of God is telling us about. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. This idea that I am saved and the Holy Spirit comes upon me. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is great. But what you see is that this, the times in the scriptures that he talks about, this dynamos, this, this dynamite, the power of the Holy Spirit that flows through us. This is not a one-time event. It may be a one-time event that the Holy Spirit comes upon us, but the Holy Spirit flowing through us is not a one-time thing, not at all. This is, Lord, fill me with your power. I challenge you to pray this prayer. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit before I get in and lecture. Before I get in and lecture, this is what I do. I say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not me. It's you, Lord. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll be leaving just this afternoon for France. And on Tuesday morning, I'm speaking, which is like Monday night, our time there in France. And I'm already praying, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a Christian gathering. It's so much more fun to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit when you're speaking to unbelievers because they have no idea what hit them. They're just, wow, what was that? It was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit. And they have no idea. They think, who's that scientist? What's going on? You just hit them with the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray this prayer that the Holy Spirit fills you with His power. Lord, fill me. You have to give a presentation. You have to stay. Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to go into a job interview. Spend some time on your knees. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit just flow through me. Empower me. This is the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to go on the cross, it says. This is who was behind Jesus empowering Him. The Holy Eternal Spirit. This is the same Spirit that you and I can capture and to say, Lord, do this in my life. And He glories in it. Let the Holy Spirit flow through. You learn to spend time saying, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to teach a little Bible. Say, well, you know, this isn't really important. It's just a little Bible. You pray. Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. That Bible study is very important. There are people in there that are going to look to you and looking to hear from you and say, Lord, fill me with the zeal of the Spirit. Do that, Lord. Fill me to overflowing with that zeal, with that power. If you read Charles Spurgeon's book, which I love to read, I don't even want to tell you the name because you're not ready for it, but, but he talks about how zeal, zeal is 90% of it. He says, if you're zealous, you could be sharing something that the people totally disagree with. But they'll walk away thinking, well, that guy really believed what he was saying. I mean, there would be some agreement with you. This comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray. You got to give your PhD defense. You pray, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. You got to give some presentation. 
fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to speak to, to a potential customer, big customer. You got, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. There are many times where I have fallen on my knees just before I make a phone call because I got to deal with a certain issue. And I say, Lord, fill me. Let the Holy Spirit just come through me. You learn to do this. It is the eternal spirit that gives us power, that gives us life. Call upon the God of heaven. Let him fill you. Let him make you different in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Now, Lord, I pray for these young students that they would learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That same spirit who it says went with Jesus to the cross, was there with him. And also, as the scriptures say, that it was the Holy Spirit that even raised him from the dead. Father, I pray for these young people that you would empower them by this Holy Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit of God would flow through them to impact people in the name of Jesus, that many would be impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit through them. Father, I pray that you would so work in their lives that they would take hold of your word and believe it. Take hold of it. Father, for the opportunity that they have, each one of them who knows you, to go into the throne room of God whenever they like because of the blood of Jesus that has been offered up. Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. Lord, I pray that this day, that they would be praying, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Father, bless these young people and draw them close to you for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.